This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, August 23rd. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, short-term rental regulations begin to take shape. Town tracks goals with a bigger goal in sight. Mountain Village establishes timeline for Meadowlark application. And a mountain weather forecast. But first, KOTO has been here almost 50 years, and we're not going anywhere. Thanks to your support, we can continue to grow and serve this community and expand to places like Ridgeway and Uray. Show your support for community radio by going to koto.org to donate, and thank you. In 2021, Telluride voters passed Ballot Measure 2D. The initiative doubled the fees on short-term rental business licenses and placed a two-year moratorium on issuing new licenses so the town could study the impact of short-term rentals in the community. This November, that two-year moratorium is up, and Telluride Town Council is starting to shape what future regulations could look like. Over the past several weeks, the town of Telluride has been conducting stakeholder meetings, open houses, and circulating surveys to get input from the community. During a work session at town council this week, Lindsay Mills, communications manager for the town, shared some results. In the stakeholder meetings, a lot of the public comment revolved around positive economic impact of short-term rentals and the diversity of accommodations that short-term rentals bring to the bed base here in Telluride. Um, some of the issues that were brought up during these stakeholder meetings of short-term rentals is a lack of affordable rental housing, the impact on free market costs of resale, and then community impact of revolving doors um, from STRs. A question also looked at short-term rental impacts on long-term housing. Folks overwhelmingly said that limiting STRs does not create long-term rentals. Um, Also, they wanted to, we had a lot of emphasis on the unintended consequences of capping short-term rentals and how it's impacted the economy over the last two years. Um, When posed the question, how should town regulate, the majority of folks said that increasing license fees would be an acceptable resolution here um, and categorizing STR licenses for the purpose of tracking short-term rentals would also be appropriate. When it came to the open houses, with just over 50 respondents and a policy questionnaire with just over 800 respondents, opinions differed but not drastically. Should there be a separate license category for primary residence STRs? So this is this is for folks that live in their home but want to rent intermittently, whether during high season, when they're traveling during shoulder season, what have you. Um, 62, 62.3% of open house respondents said that, yes, there should be a separate license category for primary residence STRs. Uh, 62.9% of policy questionnaire folks said yes as well. Should there be a cap on primary residence short-term rental licenses? 82.1% of open house respondents said no cap. 63.7% of policy questionnaire respondents also said no cap. A new question the town posed was whether deed-restricted owner-occupied units should be allowed to short-term rent their homes for limited amounts of time. 35.7% of open house respondents said yes. Um, So the majority actually said no here, where a small margin, but a majority of the policy questionnaire respondents, 48.6% said yes. For all other short-term rentals, should there be a cap on the number of licenses? Open house respondents overwhelmingly said no. Um, Policy questionnaire respondents, 
55.4% said no. The town is working with consultants' economic planning systems on the study. Consultants say there are three main policy options for regulating short-term rentals. Licensing could cap the number of STR licenses in town, tighten owner-occupancy requirements, or limit the number of nights someone can rent. Zoning could limit short-term rentals to specific zone districts or areas. Finally, fees and taxes could generate additional funding for community housing. During council discussion, council members Mian Fee, Jesse Ray Arguez, and Lars Carlson support letting the cap on short-term rentals sunset. Councilmember Carlson says the issue isn't the short-term rentals, but the value of homes in the region. At a 7% interest rate, a $500,000 condo is going to have a mortgage of 4000 a month. Is that affordable? Is a one-bedroom at 4000 a month affordable? No, it's not. Why? So then why don't we get a business license fee on it? Why don't we get revenue from the excise tax? and build more housing. What's the point of having a $5 million condo sitting there empty? Why aren't we getting an, a, a, a fee and an excess tax on that? Because it's never going to be affordable. So what, why are we limiting this? Council member Adrian Christie hears Carlson's point, but she's also interested in leveraging an STR cap into more housing. I feel like the STR licenses are so valuable that I would rather use them as an incentive to theoretically get some more long terms. I've had some chats with some people who say that their owners are, they have units that they could be renting long term. And maybe we can say, you know, if you rent long term, then you can get an STR license and consider some regulation that's tied to incentivizing people because we haven't been able to go down the road of incentivizing in a way that's truly meaningful dollar wise. We always talk about it in sort of theoretical, but when we get down to the the numbers, like there's no dollar incentive that we can really give to so many of these wealthy people because we can't cut fees enough. We can't do whatever anyway, but the STR is so valuable that I do, or license, excuse me, is so valuable that I think we could incentivize. For council member Geneva Shawnette, a key piece of the puzzle is treating short-term rentals as businesses. STRs at this point are because of the way that they are zoned by the county are evading taxation to the government based on their zoning and their um, property tax rates. So the argument behind increasing taxes on and fees on STRs to help with a problem that the government and the community has is, you know, the link is a clear link of, properties that are zoned for homes being used as businesses. And if you can't conceptually see how that is connected to an affordable housing shortage, I think you're just choosing to keep those separate. Um, We can't change the zoning of residential units to commercial for the higher tax property tax rates at the state level, at the county level at all. But we can try and collect that money as a town to bridge that gap. Um, and utilize it for issues of high need. So the philosophical connection to me is obvious of homes that pay residential taxes being used as businesses impacting affordable housing is clear as day to me. Mayor Pro Tem Mian Fee agrees short-term rentals should be feed as businesses. She also wants to see fees put in place for individuals who don't technically rent short-term, 
but still aren't providing housing to locals. I'd like to see, make sure that long-term rentals, so rentals over 30 days, over six weeks for the season that are more of a visitation base, maybe somebody that's not in the workforce, I'd like those units to be have fees attached to them the same way a short-term rental would, just because it's a day over what a short-term rental would potentially be doesn't mean that they're not having the same visitor impact as somebody that, as two that are coming in for two weeks. Finally, allowing deed-restricted homes to rent short-term. Opinions are mixed. Here's an exchange between Carlson and Christie. When are they going to rent them? Because if it's going to rent over the holidays, that means they have to leave for Christmas when most of us are working our butts off. And that's I mean, I'll use myself in a, as an example. Would I prefer to not be here during Film Fest and to make for four days money that pays my mortgage for one month, maybe two, and I go camping for the weekend? Heck yes. Council is overall supportive of increasing fees on short-term rentals. It wants to further discuss allowing deed-restricted owner-occupied units to short-term rent. Maintaining a cap on the number of short-term rental licenses is still up in the air. Telluride Town Council will continue discussing potential policy options for regulating short-term rentals with the aim to pass any regulation at the end of October. How is the town spending its money? What progress is Telluride making on its projects and priorities? Soon, questions such as these will be easier to answer as the town adopts new software for tracking spending and tallying its accomplishments. Currently, Telluride keeps track of its goals and objectives on an annual basis using a big spreadsheet. But, says Assistant Town Manager Zoe Denall, It's progress-oriented. You know, simply, is it in progress? Have we completed it? Is it not underway or ongoing? This doesn't really show budget allocations or anything of those lines. Those categories have certain limitations and can only provide so much detail. Currently, 94% of town's goals and projects for the year of 2023 are either complete or underway. But Denault continues. Some of these things are multi-year projects. So in progress, will remain in progress until the end of the year, while others will be completed by the end of 2023. About two-thirds of the projects which are marked as underway will stretch into 2024 and beyond. Denal presented the town's progress at a council meeting this week. While she didn't detail specific projects, they range from such priorities as promoting mental health resources to paying off the valley floor debt to reevaluating parking fees at the Silverjack Garage. Town manager Scott Robson chimes in to add when it comes to town projects. Kind of goes without saying, but it is worth saying that housing and housing development and deed-restricted housing continues to be um, one, if not our most significant effort that is uh, we're in the midst of right now. We have five different housing initiatives that we are working on right now. The complete list of projects is over 50 items long. By next year, Telluride hopes to inventory the projects in greater detail and compile them in an interactive spreadsheet with up-to-date deadline and budget information. That way, Denal explains. When someone says, like, what is the town doing for affordable housing? We can start naming off projects and be like, okay, this is all what we're doing. It's going to be a lot clearer and easier to be like, we are spending this amount of money this year for it. Here are the deadlines that we have hit. 
so on and so forth. So it's going to be a lot easier to have those kind of conversations. The new tracking will also change how town budgets year to year by making clearer connections between funds available and priorities at hand. If the objective is to provide um, accessibility and transparency in our communication, then one of the um, goals should be perhaps translating town council meetings into um, Spanish and English. So then there is a budget item to reach that objective. Denal's presentation was met with cheers and applause by council members who can't wait for the added capabilities. <laughs> the project involves a significant amount of data and number crunching, but should be available and public for 2024. The town of Mountain Village is rolling out its application process for the Meadowlark housing development. Meadowlark consists of 29 for-sale units in the Meadows neighborhood of Mountain Village. We have established the following pricing uh, for our units within Meadowlark, ranging from one bedroom, one baths, to three bedroom, three baths. The price per square foot under this particular plan ranges from $524 a square foot to $544 a square foot. The initial price for a one bedroom, one bath would be $395,000. And a three-bedroom with a garage would go for $1,025,000. That is all well below the current price range for the market, uh, which the market is supporting for deed-restricted housing. That's Mountain Village Town Manager Paul Weiser speaking at a town council meeting earlier this month. While Weiser acknowledges feedback that the pricing for Meadowlark isn't affordable to all residents, he notes Mountain Village is trying to fill a gap in the housing market. We have a lot of for rent products that is you know, for lower AMIs, and we have a lot of existing deed restricted units that are priced at a significantly higher price point. And so we're trying to come in between uh, where those properties are at the moment. And that's been the goal of this project all along. Mountain Village is using a waterfall approach to allocate points for eligible buyers. Priority will be given first to Town of Mountain Village employees, then essential workers, those who work in Mountain Village, those who work in the Telluride School District, then finally Mountain Village businesses. Mountain Village classifies essential workers as anyone who conducts essential services within the Telluride School District, including health care, schools, fire and police, sanitation, and maintenance. Those who qualify as an essential worker and are interested in perching a unit in Meadowlark are required to attend an open house on Wednesday, August 30th from 5 to 7 p.m. at Mountain Village Town Hall. The final application deadline for essential workers is due on Monday, October 2nd. While it will still be some time before residents buy and move into the Meadowlark development, at its meeting, Mountain Village Mayor Marty Prohaska noted it's an exciting time for the community. We've been talking about this for many, many months, and this is a, this is a big win for the community in that we are finally going to be seeing some new neighbors in a truly wonderful neighborhood. Essential workers interested in purchasing a Meadowlark unit can find full application details at meadowlarkmountainvillage.com. The much-beloved Deep Creek Trail is getting a revamp. Roughly 1.7 miles of the trail's west end, where it leaves Last Dollar Road, has become eroded, badly rutted, and a bit treacherous over the years. Now, Telluride Mountain Club has been given the go-ahead by the U.S. Forest Service to reroute the trail slightly north, 
where it will take a somewhat more meandering course over less steep terrain, improving both the longevity and safety of the trail and making it more accessible to a wider array of users. Originally conceived of in 2017, the trail proposal went through a lengthy approval process before receiving the Forest Service thumbs up. Funding for the project will flow from the Great American Outdoors Act. Work is underway, and the new trail route is predicted to be complete this fall. First, the Paradox Solar Array was out cold. Then it was halfway working. Now it's back and working in full. A community solar array in Paradox, operated by the San Miguel Power Association, was taken offline in late July due to a mechanical issue with a transformer at the site. After a roughly 10-day outage, the solar array was returned to partial capacity in early August, but only this week has the array made a return to full capacity. No energy users lost power during the outage, as the solar energy is supplemental, and SMPA simply upped its production from other sources. The array works on a community solar model. SMPA members had the opportunity to buy into the array when it was initially installed, and those who opted in receive a credit on their accounts as the array produces power. The outage will likely make those credits lower for the months of July and August, and SMPA adds the outage is a good reminder that solar power is never guaranteed. As the facility ages, it may experience more outages for ongoing maintenance. Compost is coming to San Miguel County. Bruin Waste Management was recently awarded a State Recycling Resources Economic Opportunity Infrastructure Grant to purchase containers for compost collection in addition to two new vehicles. Beginning September 1st, Bruin will start a pilot program with several restaurants in Telluride and Mountain Village. The compost will be transported to a commercial composting facility in Olathe. The pilot will provide Bruin with data for the amount of compost collected. San Miguel County residents can stay on the lookout as composting services are likely to expand in the coming months. The Democratic leader of the U.S. House of Representatives, Hakeem Jeffries, was in Colorado on Tuesday. KOTO's Lucas Brady Woods reports he hosted a town hall in Brighton alongside Colorado Congresswoman Yadira Caraveo to talk about issues facing aging residents. For Jeffries, one of the most pressing issues for seniors are possible Republican-backed cuts to Medicare and Social Security. Aging Americans have contributed to those programs throughout their lives, and he says they're entitled to reap the benefits. Notwithstanding the efforts by some in Washington to take away those hard-earned benefits from you. Your Congresswoman is fighting to make sure that we never let anyone take away your Social Security and your Medicare. Not now, not ever. Jeffries and Caraveo agreed that they're committed to addressing another big issue for seniors, the high cost of prescription drugs. Attendees also asked about mental health and obesity. The event comes a day after Caraveo introduced new legislation to launch a mental health hotline for agriculture workers. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods in Brighton. Mesa Verde National Park in southwest Colorado is home to stunning juniper and pinyon pine forests and some of the largest cliff dwellings in North America. 
For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KSJD's Chris Clements visited the park and caught a performance by Pueblo dancers, a tour of Cliff Palace, and learned of the connections from the past to the present of the ancestral Puebloan people. and we are from the Pueblo of Jemez, which is approximately 45 miles northwest of Albuquerque, New Mexico. So we traveled this far to share some of our traditional dances and to visit some of our ancestors that have been here before. So this is our stronghold where we carry on this tradition and culture. Uh, Mesa Verde, I don't know if you've seen the film at the front, uh, up, up in the museum. We are featured in that in the film. See, the old canyon dancers. So if you see the singers in there, it's me and my, myself, my brothers, and the dance group. <laughs> Palace is the largest dwelling in the park with over 150 rooms and the most well-known. Welcome to Mesa Verde National Park as well as welcome to Cliff Palace. My name is Ranger Brady. You can also call me Ranger Richards. Just please do not call me Mr. Ranger since that's my father. After a few minutes, our group reaches the edge of Cliff Palace. We have more space down here. Feel free to grab a seat, folks. We'll be here for a few minutes, unless if you wanted to suffer in the sun longer than we need to. Ranger Richards uses a green laser pointer to indicate to the stone kivas and towers of the dwelling. So if you look at the very base of the rock, um, right at the bottom, there's this really flaky layer called shale. So when water hits that shale layer, it's forced at the side of the rock, creating a spring of water called a seep spring. That was the main water source for the ancestral Pueblo people, and the main reasons why they came down into these cliff dwellings in the first place is to get closer to that water source, is to get closer to that seep spring. The sandstone cliffs itself also filter the water, so it's drinking water straight out of the rock. Soon, the group walks around an open kiva in the middle of the dwelling floor as Ranger Richards wraps up the tour. The ancestral Pueblo people and their descendants did not disappear. They did not vanish, and for those of you that are fans of Marvel, they did not get Thanos snapped out of existence. They're still very much alive and living today. Some descendants just live in the town of Cortez, Colorado, just 11 minutes outside the park entrance. Others live within an hour or two drive of the park itself in different tribal reservations. Some descendants still work here as members of our staff here at Mesa Verde National Park, some of which are, are my own supervisors, and others are our interns as well as our volunteers. 
2022, roughly half a million people visited Mesa Verde, slightly down from the previous year. For KSJD, I'm Chris Clements. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for cloudy skies tonight with a low near 50 degrees. Thursday brings an 80% chance of rain and thunderstorms with a high near 65 degrees, followed by a cloudy night with a chance of rain and a low around 50. Friday brings a high near 65 degrees and a 100% chance of rain and thunderstorms. Expect showers to linger overnight on Friday with a low near 50. This has been the news for Wednesday, August 23rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. We would like to thank everyone who has donated to Kodo during our summer fun drive. A huge thank you to Tyler Coleman, Peggy Collins, Kathleen Howell, Dwight Kellogg, Lori and David Land, Rosie Cusack, Natalie Price, Virginia Squire, Michael Varanka, Annie and Tim Swan, Adam Baker, Kathleen Cole, Janice Dawson, Dennis Dexter, Don and Jane Berman, Ellen Drake, Brooklyn Gonzalez, Peter Hart, Carol and John Keough, Kevin Field, Jeffrey Kandarian, Adrian Christie, Simone Florney, Joanna Goodman, Bob Rorak, Artie's Rosenthal, Dave Valentine, James Van Hooser, Susie Mead, Gerald Meeser, Gretchen Koyitz, Bill Kite, Charlie Siamratario, and Haley Nenadal. Thank you all so much. And now, a personal commentary. Have you noticed cold drafts creeping into your house from poorly insulated windows or doors? Do you have old or inefficient appliances? This is likely a sign that the energy you are paying for each month is being used inefficiently. EcoAction Partners Colorado Affordable Residential Energy, or CARE, program is designed to solve these problems by providing qualifying residents with free energy efficiency and weatherization upgrades. We all know how important it is to spend our money wisely. Keep the heat you are paying for each month inside your home by participating in the CARE program, which provides weatherization and energy efficiency upgrades to insulation, windows, appliances, and other aspects of your home as needed. If you make 80% of the area median income, qualify for LEAP, WIC, or SNAP, you automatically qualify for the CARE program. Whether you own a home or rent, this program could be for you. To apply, visit EcoAction Partners' website at ecoactionpartners.org and click on the CARE tab. This program is successful thanks to support from San Miguel Power Association, Black Hills Energy, EcoAction Partners, and Energy Outreach Colorado. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.